Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, I just want to share with you this morning about an opportunity we have Many of you are familiar, obviously, this COVID situation has, uh, you know, touched a lot of people, especially our essential workers, our doctors, our nurses, our administrators in the, in the healthcare facility. And so we want to keep, number one, keep praying for them, but we have an opportunity to bless them as a church. And so what we're doing is uh, if you want to give or taking up an offering or giving, you can see Pastor Sean after church because that money's going to go help buy them some food. They haven't been able, they've been working a lot of hours and so they don't go to the cafeterias, or sometimes the cafeterias are open a certain amount of times. We're going to take that money with a couple other churches. We're going to invest in some food for them and take them and bless them for their labor and their service, uh, for serving the community, serving us. And so if you want to contribute to that, um, you could either put an offering right down for the, uh, for the essential workers or the, the outreach there, or you could see Pastor Sean. Pastor Sean has a hand in the back there if you want to see him. Uh, you just see him at the Welcome Center. He'll give you more details about that after service if you want to be a part of just blessing some of our doctors, our nurses, administrators in the healthcare uh, ministry area there. So just want to encourage you to do that. Hey, guys, we're going to uh, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. We'll also be in Acts chapter 2, the latter part, but focus on Romans chapter 8 this morning as we're continuing our sermon series, Freedom in Christ. This morning, my sermon series is called Focus. Guys, I know we haven't traveled much, but when you travel and get on an airplane, you have to go through the procedure to get on the plane. They instruct you about what's going on in case anything happens. They tell you about all that. But most planes will fly and take off the ground and get to about 36,000 feet up into the air. But one of the most terrifying feelings is when some, you hit some turbulence and the plane starts to rock. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but it, it, it stirs up some scenarios in your mind, some fears in your mind, right? And sometimes what you begin to do is you begin to hold on to that chair. You begin to buckle up your belt a little more. It brings some you know, things in your mind. And then the pilot comes on and he says, hey, we're hitting some turbulence. So we're going to go up to higher up to find some air that's a little bit more calmer, right? A little smoother, and in some ways, you find some reassurance in his words. But the problem is this, guys. The turbulence is still there. It doesn't disappear. But the words of the pilot brings comfort. You see, you moved your focus from experience of the turbulence to the, to the voice of the pilot. You know, we are living in some turbulent times. And our nature is to focus on the difficult times. But my challenge to you this morning is to focus on the calming voice of God. It is here that we it's here that we muffle the voice of condemnation and we marinate in the presence of God. So we're going to continue our sermon series on re, on focus this morning. As we talk about freedom in Christ, we're going to focus on the promise of the scriptures because it's in the truth that you're set free. One of the benefits of being in Christ is that we get to enjoy his presence. We've been looking at 10 statements. Here's a statement for this morning. When I talk to God, do I spend more time rehearsing my failures or enjoying his presence? When we talk to God, do I spend more time rehearsing my failures or enjoying his presence? Let's pray. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings and your goodness and mercy and grace. And so I pray this morning as we enter into Romans chapter 8, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. Father, we believe that your Holy Spirit still speaks. And so I pray this morning that you give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive. I pray for those that are in this room, and I pray for those that are online, Lord, as we're receiving your word. Father, you're sanctifying us through your word. Father, may we be washed and encouraged by your word. That, Father, your truth will set the captives free. So we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. The first thing, we're looking at three things this morning. The first thing this morning is freedom comes when we focus on Christ's work, not our failures. Freedom comes when we focus on Christ's work and not our failures. Many of you are very familiar and know that my mom passed away last year from cancer. And so I was traveling back and forth to L.A., which gave me opportunity not to spend time with the last days of my mom, but spend time with my pops and my dad. And one of the things my dad loves to do is he loves to play golf. He loves to go out and play golf. I'm not a golf player. I don't ever play golf. I think I played golf once in my life. But I wanted to have this moments with my dad. So one day we decided to go out to the driving range and, and just hit some balls. So I took him out there. Now, I've never really done golf before, right? So, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, you know, how hard could it be maybe? You know, I don't know. So we get to the golfing range. And I remember we're setting up and I, I get the ball. and You're on the little tee there at the range. And I remember I took the club. My dad's there and he's instructing me. He's kind of guiding me. And I'm getting in the position to hit the ball. Now, I, I'm, I'm winding up like it's a baseball, right? And so, man, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to hit this thing out of the park. Home run's coming right here. And I went, I swing back and went, bang! And I missed the ball. <laughs> and the rest of the morning, I kept trying to hit that ball, and I'd slice it right. One time, I, I hit the ball, I hit the divider, and bounced back and almost hit my dad. I mean, it, it was getting ugly. And I started getting frustrated, and I started getting angry, and I'm like, man, and the more I got angry, the more I wanted to hit that ball. But I realized that wasn't my purpose to focus on the ball. It wasn't my purpose to focus on the frustration. My purpose was to have time with my pops. And I think a lot of times in our life, and our walk with God, we so much focus on our failures and our frustrations and our mess-ups that we forget about the presence of God. You're going to see this in, in Romans chapter 8 this morning. So the first thing here is don't focus on your failures. Look at verse one of Romans eight. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirits. Now, if you read that, that, that brings hope a little bit. But you gotta understand it's this, this, this verse here is a famous verse, but there's a word therefore right before because you have to go back to chapter seven. And we began to study chapter seven last week because we talked about the flesh in the spirit, but we notice that in chapter 7, verse 25, that what is Paul writes as he's writing this word says this, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is he saying? He talked about the flesh and the spirit and the battle between it. He says, oh, wretched man, the man who could save me. Oh, I thank God through Christ our Lord. He's looking to Jesus as the deliverer, and then because Jesus is our deliverer, now there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. See, it's almost a celebratory verse that we take hold of. He's, he, Paul is praising God for, for the work of Christ. You know, it's so easy to rehearse our failures, right? 
to play it over and over and over in our head. It's easy to, to self-condemn. Guys, we could be our worst enemies. We have our own laundry list that we look at. But I'm asking you to get away and crumble up that laundry list and throw it away because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation in Christ with our failures. Condemnation is the opposite of justification, right? Justification means what? Acquitted of all wrong. We've been justified by faith. We're acquitted of all wrong. Condemnation means guilty of all wrong. We've been, we've been given a charge. We've been given a life sentence. That's what condemnation is. We know that the first Adam, we looked at that in Romans 5. We know that the first Adam brought condemnation and the second Adam brought justification. So if you put your faith in Christ, you stand before him with zero condemnation. Zip, zero condemnation. For John 3.20 says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, knowing all things, right? We know that as we look at this verse, we want to walk in the spirit and not according to flesh. Actually, in the early manuscripts, it didn't even have that. It was just saying, therefore, there is no condemnation, period. They added to bring clarification because you later when you get to verse 5, it, uses, it repeats the same thought over, over again. But you have to understand, again, your identity in Christ. You're not condemned, period. And with that confidence of this, we have to be assured of this, that we're accepted by Christ, before we can grow in Christ, before we can understand that, we have to understand that we are, blessed are those who are called the children of God. So we hold on to that. But we also also understand this, number two, is focus on the law of freedom. Look at verse two. With the focus of the law of freedom. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. In the past few weeks, we've been talking about the law through the book of Romans. We know that there was the Mosaic law, which cannot transform any of us, but only reveal our, doc, our darkness. We, we looked about that. We talked about the commandments and the Ten Commandments and the law that we speak up in the book of Romans. But we also looked a little bit about the principles of the law, right? The new insights by which Paul had gained in Romans 6, 7, and 8 about new insights, those aha moments, oh, this law of this and this law of that, to the law of the flesh and the law of the spirit and all these different things. He was getting insights. But now Paul writes about another law called the law of, of the spirits, the law of the spirit of life. This new law of life has freed us from sin and death. Their spirit, this spirit has replaced the law because the law only produces sin and death. But 2 Corinthians 3 says this, for the letter kills, the law kills, but the spirit gives life. The spirit gives life. The spirit is the key to set the captives free for wherever the spirit is, there's liberty. Wherever the spirit is, there's liberty. Now, we're all familiar with different types of law. We're familiar with the law of gravity, like what goes up must come down. But when we get into a plane, there's another law. There's called the law of aerodynamics. This law says the object, if the object moves at a certain speed, at a certain thrust, it will be able to climb out of gravity's pull. And when the airplane flies, gravity hasn't stopped being in control you see the law of aerodynamics sets you free from the law of gravity. You see the law of sin and death still is present, but the law of the spirit overpowers the law of sin and death. We have spiritual aerodynamics called the Holy Spirit, and that lifts us higher and loosens the control of the law of sin and death. Breaks that law. He trumps that law, the law of the spirits. 
the spirit, which is Christ in us, is stronger than any other force. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So the life of the flesh will only bring us down, but the life of the spirit will lift us up. Will lift us up. And so we have to hold on to that. But here's the second thing, guys. Freedom comes by refocusing our minds, by renewing our minds, by refocusing. We see that in verses 3 to 7 of Romans chapter 8. Last week, we talked about the wages, the war that takes place in the minds in Romans chapter 7. You know, the last few weeks, some of you have been bringing donuts. Annie Algren, Julie Herrera, bringing the donuts to, to church, right? Now, when you bring a box of donuts to the church, they were not brought to be just looked at in the box. They weren't brought to be admired in the box. They were brought to be eaten. Come on now. Come on now. I know Anna and Julie come in. I know Julie had this big box of donuts this morning, right? Now, we, we know donuts aren't the healthiest things to eat, but if we don't eat those donuts, we'll focus on those things all morning. Come on now. You hear what I'm saying? Now, listen. We have struggles because we know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so when those donuts in here, they're, they're crying out your name, right? This is how the enemy works, right? He tempts you to focus on the sin or the donuts in our case. But focusing on our sin and failures can't help us. We need to focus our minds and our eyes on something else or better yet, someone else who can help us overcome our weakness called sin. We have to rethink. We have to have a, re a new look, a new look on life and see things differently, right? So we look at verses three to four. We have to refocus our mind on Christ's sacrificial love. We have to focus our mind on Christ's sacrificial love. Look at three to four. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he contemns sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. First of all, we have to understand this. You have to receive this. You have to think about this. Christ came to defeat death. He came to defeat death. Why? Because the law couldn't defeat death. The law couldn't deliver them from the penalty of sin. It couldn't deliver us from the penalty of sin. The law had some limitations. It couldn't make anyone righteous. The law is still a picture of the holiness of God, but exposes our unholiness. What the law could not do, Christ did, and he defeated death. Christ also came in the flesh to defeat sin. He came to defeat death, but he also came to defeat sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so he came, took on the image of sinful man to defeat sin. We only have to look at Philippians 2, 7 and 8. It says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, coming in the flesh and being found in the appearance of man. He went, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And because he came, Christ's righteousness will fulfill the requirements of the law. He was holy. He was without sin. He was the righteous one. We know that he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. But we know this, because of the spirit because of christ in us because of the spirit in us we have the law written on our hearts the law of love 
that law of love is manifested in the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5, 21 and 22. And because we're not walking or behaving in the flesh, but we are ruled by the spirit, we're called to be walking in the spirit. And so we are focusing our mind on the, on the living word to walk in the ways of the written word. That's why we're here this morning. We're being sanctified by the written word so we can live for the, the, the word that came flesh and became fish. And so we know that there is a walk that we're called to walk by. There's a way that we're called to live. There's a standard by which we're called to live. There's an expectation by which we're called to live, right? We have to, a walk requires commitment. We want to walk in the spirit. That takes commitment. It takes lesion. It takes, it takes devotion. That's part of our walk. There has to be an intentional heart to want to walk with that. A, 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 a walk requires consecration, means anointing or to be anointed or dedication or holiness. Peter said, right, be holy for I am holy. He says, there's a, there's a holiness to a walk. There's a consecration to our walk. There's a separation. The word sanctification means to be separate. We, we're called to be different in our walk. A, a walk also requires capitulation, which means acquiescence or dependence. This walk with God means we have to be dependent upon God every single moment of the day. We're relying on him every single There's requirements to this walk. That's what it means to walk in the spirits. To have a devotion and dedication and dependence upon him. And so to do this, we have to focus our minds on the things of the spirit. We have to focus our minds on the things of the spirit. See, every decision we make is because of the brain. For without the brain, nothing else works. It is the channel that controls your motor functions. And when your brain dies, when you become brain dead, sometimes you see what your kids do, dumb things, and you say, are you brain dead? When you become brain dead, nothing else can work. What the brain is to the body, the mind is to the soul. The man of the spirit reaches a point where he consistently appraises and evaluates and examines the things that God's from God's perspective. In the spirit, we have the mind of Christ and in the spirit, we have a renewed mind, not a debased mind. A mind that seek after God. A mind that's hunger for God and thirsting for God. And so when you get to verses five through 11, he's beginning to contrast the life of the spirit in contrast of the life of the flesh. Look at verse five, it says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to spirit, the things of the spirit. What Paul is doing in his writing is he's revealing two mindsets, two different types of people. Really, people get to choose two different types of lifestyle they want to live based on how they think, based on what their worldview is, how they perceive God, how they perceive their world. They get to choose to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirits. But those who set their minds on the flesh, it talks about here, right? Those who live according to the flesh, those are usually the unregenerated, the unsaved, that, that do what's only right in their own minds or their own hearts. Follow their own ways, what only seems right in their own minds or on their hearts. The word to set their minds in this verse, it means to seek one's interest or advantage. Their purpose to please their own nature, the human nature, the nature of man apart from the divine influence apart from the spirit moving in them. Living in the flesh is giving priority to the things in this material world. We're living in the material world as Donna would sing. McDonough, McDonough. 
I called her Mike McDonald's. Madonna. She's saying that song, The Material World, about the material woman. People are living that reality out today in the flesh, showing to the flesh and living to whatever they can please themselves. But for us, for the believer, those who walk around, we're called to set our minds on the spirits. To live according or in the manner of a regenerated life that we are to have, we are to be heavily minded people. We think beyond the physical, but we believe in the spiritual as much as there is a physical. Somebody said you can't be so heavenly minded, you can't be any earthly good. No, be heavenly minded so you can be heavenly good. Earthly good. We are to be like-minded with God. And we are to focus on heavenly things. That's why Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossian church in 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. We're called to be heavenly minded so we can be earthly good, right? But we know that there's a consequence to these two lifestyles, one of the spirit and one of the flesh. There's a consequence. There's fruit of these things, right? You reap what you sow. You reap what you choose. Look at verse six. For the carnal, carnal, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let's look at the carnally minded man or person. That's the person of the flesh or the fleshly minded. It says right there that leads to death, right? For the carnally minded, it's, it's, it's a dead-end street. It's a, it's a dead-end life. We, you know, I think that goes all the way back to Romans chapter 6 when we're dealing with the issue of grace and sin, remember? And then the idea was that, do I keep on sitting that grace may abound? Do I keep living in my mess because there's enough grace? And when Paul's saying, God forbid, no, why? Because he knows if you keep messing with that, you're going to die. It's going to lead to death. The quality of life is going to be dead. What if you gain everything? What if you sow to the flesh? What if you get everything you want in life and lose your soul? It's dead end. I think of the Disney movie Pinocchio. You remember Pinocchio? Those who watch the Disney Channel and have the Disney, you know, things. Pinocchio had a flesh issue, right? He wanted to fit in. In his quest to find meaning and purpose, he found himself in a place called the Pleasure Island where he would begin to be transformed into a donkey. Come on now, be aware of what the flesh will turn you into. We know what a donkey is, right? Come on now, I don't have to say it. But sometimes it'll, it'll take us there, right? Esau lost his birthright. David lost his integrity and Judas lost his soul. Solomon for 12 years journeyed seeking the meaning through education and women and science and philosophy and power. And he summed it all up in this one, two verses in 12, 1 and 13, Ecclesiastes, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter for God and his, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments for this is man's all. And he closes up saying, it's all vanity. It's all the flesh. It's all the flesh. We're called to be spiritually minded and the spiritually minded leads to life and peace. And because we've been reconciled to God, because we've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to one another because that's the whole gospel, right? We have made peace with God and we made peace with one another. 
That's the gospel, right? We know that the spirit leads to life, abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. There's a quality to a life for the believer. He gives us a good life. There was a shirt that had been printed called the good life, right? And this life and this walk with God leads to a good life, an abundant life. And many of you are a testimony to that. We, we heard your stories of how God changed your life around. Now you're living the good life that leads to peace, the peace of mind and the peace of heart. When the church was facing tribulations and difficulty and trials in the church of Philippi, they talked about their anxiety and their fear. And Paul writes them to pray. Pray with thanksgiving and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind with peace. And then he gives us this command. Not only will you pray with thanksgiving, he'll guard your heart, mind, and peace. But then he says, let me add this. Meditate on these things. And he says, whatever things are true and whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, report. if there's any virtue, there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about them. You're renewed and freedom comes in your thinking. We'll get into that in Romans chapter 12 later, one and two, talking about the renewing of the mind. Because what the carnal man, the man of the flesh, is at war with God. We see that in 7 eight. Look at this. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What he's saying is the man of the flesh of the carnal man is butting heads with God, right? He is at war with God. He is, the word enmity means hostile to God, right? We know prior to Paul, when he was named Saul, who was a persecutor of the church and caused havoc on the church, right? Was on his way to Damascus and he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you butting your head against the wall? Why are you kicking against the gold? Why are you coming against me? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you fighting against me? And by a bright light, he knocked him off his high horse and made him go blind and had to deal with his heart, right? Though he thought he was spiritual, he was really carnal. Be careful of our own walk. The carnal man kind of has the thinks that God owes him something, that God's indebted to him. I do good work, so you should allow me in your heaven, <laughs> right? I'm a good person, so you should owe me some rewards. The flesh cannot please God, only faith. That's Hebrews eleven six, Only faith, right? In Philippians chapter 3, 18 and 19, it says this, for Many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. That's the carnal man, the fleshly man. So we're called to renew our mind, focus our new mind. And lastly, this morning, freedom comes when we focus on Christ's presence in Romans 8, 9 through 11, and we'll jump over to Acts chapter 2, 25 to 28 to close. I remember um, when Jill and I wanted to, to buy a house, 
in the house we're living, we, we went in and we first saw it. And, and to be honest with you, I wasn't impressed with it. It was a small three-bedroom house. The inside was painted mint green inside. Come on now. Mint green. Okay. It, it had hardwood floors, but they were covered by dingy brown carpet. And all I saw was an old house. But my wife, my wife has vision. She, she, says, she said to you, you have to, you have to look beyond that. Focus on what it could be and who will dwell there. And so we purchased that house. And prior to moving in, I, I redid the floors and repainted the walls and put a new fresh look on it. Let me, let me tell you something. That's exactly what happens when you're born of the spirits. We have an old house that doesn't look very good and it needs some, some work. It's a, it's a fixer upper. But then God moves in and he, he purchases the house and he begins to his extreme makeover. But let me tell you something. Even in that, that home is temporary, just like this home is temporary. You see, Christ has gone to prepare a home for you, and one day he's going to call you home to be with him forever. But before we have homecoming, we need to reserve a place. First of all, we have to understand how we reserve the place. And the Spirit is the seal of our authenticity. This, this Holy Spirit is the, the marker for our place. It's the reservation for our place to be with God in the presence of God. Right? Look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is, he is not his. Remember when Nicodemus in John chapter 3 came to Jesus? He knew that Jesus, something crazy was going on with Jesus. He, he was a Pharisee, came by night because he didn't want anybody to see him. And they had a conversation about being born again. And Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking about the spiritual things. Nick and Trevis try to see the light of the physical things. What do you mean being born again? I go back in my mother's womb. What does this all mean? And sometimes we talk about religious things or spiritual words. Some of you online who don't go to church, not familiar with the church, don't understand the language that we use. But he's talking about there's a new birth that needs to come. We have a physical birth, but there's a new birth to come by the spirits. That could only happen by God. And when you have this new birth, we call it being born again. Then the Holy Spirit resides in you. The Holy Spirit, God tabernacles in you. He dwells within you. That's one who's born again or born of the spirits. And we know that when that conversion or that moment happens in life, there's a, a time of refreshing that comes. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, when we hear the preaching of the gospel by Peter, he's preaching and the Jews are listening. They're hearing the preaching. The word is sanctifying and, 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 and convicting the heart and those Jews want to receive Christ. We read in Acts chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come, what? From the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. Guys, maybe you're struggling. Maybe you feel chapped. Maybe you feel dry. Maybe these times are hard. Maybe you don't have this relationship with God. There's a time of refreshing will come when you call upon his name and you enter into his presence. We see here the third person of the Trinity is present at the conversion. Because without the Spirit, we're still dead. We're still dead. We must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. But the dead will not enter. But here's another thing. The Spirit will be power. The Spirit will be the power to resurrect our dead bodies. The Spirit will be the power to resurrect our dead bodies. Look at 10 and 11. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through his spirit who dwells in you. Christ dwells in us. Do you see the gift there? Christ in us. And if Christ is in you, Christ in us, that's the second person of the Trinity. He's present in us through the spirits. Christ in us, the hope of glory. One day we're going to be glorified. But he dwells in this body. This, he tabernacles in this body. He lives for this body is the temple and he lives inside that. And Christ's righteousness infuses us with life. He vaccinates us with his righteousness. That's what he, he does. And the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead also resides in us and gives life to our mortal bodies. This earthly bodies, this fleshly bodies. And we have a future hope to be with Christ in all eternity. We have a hope to be in his presence for all eternity. That's freeing. That's freeing. Right? But I want you to jump here too, so you see a little bit more of this in depth. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 20, to grasp this concept. We talk about being in the presence. Focus on the presence of God. This is David giving a, he's quoting Psalm 16. He's giving a prophetic word here. He's giving a prophetic word because David is a, is a king in the Old Testament, projecting what the promises that we find in the New Testament. For David, says concerning him in verse 24, for I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoices and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. In your presence. David opens up in verse 25, open up the promise of heaven, that he will be, will be in the promise of heaven with God. Speaking of his own resurrection prophetically, quoting Psalm 16, 8 through 11. And David takes comfort in the presence of the Lord. When we take presence and comfort, and we take comfort in the presence of the Lord, nothing can shake our world. No COVID can shake our world. No, no racism can shake our world. No sickness, no, nothing can shake our world because we're grounded in Christ and he's living in us. And we have great joy in the presence of God in verse 26. We have a, a worshipful heart because David's praising God from his own lips because we find hope in his presence. And we'll have, we will not have eternal death, but we'll have eternal life in verse 27. Because Christ escaped death. He escaped, he brought, he destroyed hell. He destroyed death and he will not see corruption. We know that he resurrected and his body will never see corruption. And because he never saw corruption and he never saw death, we too won't see death. Us too will not feel the sting of death. We may die physically, but we won't die spiritually. And then we have the privilege to know Christ and his ways in verse 28. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And your presence, God, will bring great joy, great delight. For the joy of the Lord is our strength, is our power. The presence of God. When we focus on these things, guys, 
these things as I close. When we focus, that freedom comes when we focus on Christ's work and, and not our failures. Quit rehearsing your failures and rejoice in your victories. See, when we refocus, freedom comes by refocusing our minds on the work of the cross and what he's done for us. And freedom comes when we focus on Christ's presence, that he's, he's ripped the curtains that divides the holies, the holies to go in and we can be in his presence. It says that we can go to his presence in our time of need with confidence and he'll hear us and answer us. We have access to his presence, to the presence of God. God's opened up those doors. Let's rejoice. Let's take pleasure. Guys, let us be spiritual hedonists for the Lord and take pleasure in him. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning, for your love and your blessings, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace, Lord. I pray this morning for your saints. I pray this morning as they're here this morning, whether online or whether they're in the seats this morning, Lord, I pray you set the captives free from the self-condemnation that the enemy keeps beating down on us and starts doing those fiery darts at us. But your word said, now therefore there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Let us renew our minds with those words. Let us marinate in those words. Father, let us find peace in those words and comfort in those words that you give us life and peace. Now, Father, we're going to be set free by your presence. We thank you. We honor you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.